That, that thought did cross my mind. Well, happy Easter. All right. Every, every Sunday, every day is a good day to celebrate Easter. And some of you may be thinking, well, if we're going to celebrate a different holiday, let's celebrate Christmas because I like presents. But the early church actually thought that Easter had the greatest presence of all because it was the celebration of the resurrection, the breaking in of a new life. And for our text day, we're going to pay attention to the fact that the resurrection was a surprise. It was a surprise for the early church. As many times as the prophets pronounced that the suffering servant's going to come, as many times as Jesus told his disciples that I'm going to die and rise again, when it happened, it was a surprise. So as you follow the text with me, uh, you'll notice that even many of his close followers, his closest disciples, were surprised. So please follow with me. I'm in Mark 15, verses 40 through 16, 8. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should already have died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. Then you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit and illuminate your word today. We need more than cleverly uh, put together uh, speeches. We need to hear from you, O oh God. And the way to hear from you is through your word. And you've even blessed the preaching of the word. 
Would you surprise us again, Lord, with this familiar story? Will you surprise us again? As the author of Hebrews tells us that we're prone to drift. We drift away from truth. We drift away from intimate relationship. That's our tendency, O oh Lord. So would you use your word today to draw us in and surprise us with the good news that you have given us in Jesus Christ and his resurrection. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. It was a sunny day in Morocco, and I sat in the seaport waiting for our trip back to Spain. We were on a missions trip, and I was there with about 15 close friends and a leader. And uh, unfortunately, on that particular day, I was a little under the weather. I'd, I'd eaten some strange goat cheese in one of the villages we'd been in, and it was not settling with me right. So I was kind of hunched over in this chair, and I'm just dozing off, trying to get away from the pain, escape it. And I look up, and oh, snap. There's, none of my friends are here. My leader's not here. So I immediately look out the window, and there's the ferry I'm to get on, and there's the drawbridge doing this. And I'm just paralyzed. I look around. I can't go anywhere because I'm watching this drawbridge go up. And the thought's crossing my mind. I think I'm being called to long-term missions. <laughs> and I am just struck. And one of the reasons, too, while I'm in Morocco, the thing that people said to me occasionally, matter of fact, when I first got there, a man comes up to me and says, you look much Moroccan. And I'm like, that's awesome. But now I'm at the port, and I look much Moroccan. I don't have a passport. I don't have money. And the drawbridge just went up, and my friends are sailing away to Spain. And I, for that moment, I had a little taste of, of hopelessness. What is going to happen? What is going to happen? I'm stuck. I'm left behind in Africa. I mean, I'm not even left at home. I'm left behind in Africa. As time goes by, it's just a probably five or ten minutes, but it felt a lot longer than that. Eventually, a man came up to me, and to my surprise, without money or passport, he walked me to the ship and let me sail to Spain. That's a surprising story. That's a surprising outcome. That's not something that likely happens. But the reality is this, that we all need a surprise. We all need this type of surprise, an unexpected solution to our greatest problems. Think about your greatest problems right now. You need a surprise today, don't you? You need an unexpected solution to these problems that are beyond what you can do with your own power. The resurrection is the central surprise of the church. Church past, church present, church future. It's the greatest surprise that Jesus would rise from the dead and he would rescue us. He'd punch through the timeline in history and say things are going to change now. The kingdom is breaking in. And life as you know it is different. You now have a lasting hope that you can look back to and know that there's something hopeful ahead. So this is the true story about the world being surprised by hope. And Jesus came back as no one suspected. And one of the most remarkable things, of guys, this is a true story. This is a true story, and this is why I'm going to tell you. In the first section of the story, we see there's Joseph of Arimathea, and there's these women. And they both are examples of piety and faithfulness. 
But as you saw in the text, the people who are given the privilege to be the first ones to hear that Jesus has risen from the dead are the women. And, uh, and of them, it's Mary of Magdalene, a woman who was stuffed with demons until Jesus released her. And, and God saw it fit to say, those are going to be my messengers. Those glorious image bearers are going to be the ones who proclaim the great surprise of the ages. And I'm telling you, if you're writing history, you don't write it like this. If you're making up history, you don't make it up like this. Because Joseph of Arimathea is a very good candidate to say, hey, he's a respected religious leader. He's male. He's wealthy. He has connections. He's the one who's going to proclaim this false story that Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, it could have been like that. Joseph of Arimathea or someone like him. But the women are given the privilege of declaring that Jesus is resurrected. That has to be a true story. Why else would you make it up like that? It's not compelling to say that women who are not respected in the court of law, in that patriarchal society, women's testimony was not respected. But God said, not in my kingdom. Not in my kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus said, and this is a glimpse of it as Jesus is resurrected and he sends women, go tell the disciples. So since Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, we must anchor our hope on him alone. Since Jesus has risen from the dead, this true story, it happened 2,000 years ago, you get to hear today and be reminded of this good news. Anchor your hope on Jesus alone. We hang it on so many things, but my proposition today, anchor your hope on Jesus alone. Three points to this sermon, it's going to be this. What is hope? How do we hold on to it? And where does it come from? So what is hope? In the opening scene, we see the faithful women and the courageous Joseph. That's how they're they're depicted here. And the women's faithfulness is so clear to see if you look carefully at the text. Verse 41, these are the people who followed him in Galilee. Verse 40, they followed Jesus to the cross. All the disciples, they're ghosts. They're gone. But the women are following and they're watching. Where's Jesus now? And we're not done yet. They followed to see where he was laid. Verse 47, they're around, looking around the tree. Okay, that's where he's laid. We know where he is. And then we're still not done. Verse 16 too, they leave very early to go to the tomb to honor and anoint him. These are faithful and devout followers. So this is a case study of hope. So we have the faithful women, the most faithful of all disciples, really depicted in these women. And then we have the courageous Joseph of Arimathea. So we have faith and we have courage. And why is Joseph courage? Well, he was a religious elite. And to go and ask for Jesus' body was not only opposing the the religious elite in his time, his peers, but it also would have caused question to come from Rome. Why are you interested in this person who is opposing Rome? Where's your devotion? So it took courage for him. And typically it was a, uh, a person's family who would go and ask for the body after burial. But Joseph is the only one there. He shows up and with courage, can I have the body of Jesus? But despite these great attributes, despite these amazing attributes, they're the best of the best. These are the, the Navy SEALs of Jesus' disciples. Despite that, they're without hope. 
because going to the tomb, they weren't looking for a resurrected Jesus. It's very clear in the text. They were bringing things to anoint a dead body. They are going there to pay homage to the one that they thought was the Messiah. So what is hope? If it's not courage, if it's not faithfulness, if we all want to be courageous and faithful Christians, that's part of our calling, but it's not hope. What is hope? Well, the basic definition for hope in the biblical of dic- um, dictionary of biblical imagery is this. It's the essential quality of orienting to something in the future that one expects but does not yet have. You're orienting yourself to something in the future that you expect but you do not yet have. A wedding day, um, graduation, uh, finishing boot camp. You're orienting yourself and there's this hope that I'm going to get to this thing. I recently heard an illustration that really hit the nail on the head for hope and the pastor described it like this. Imagine you take two people, they're the they're, they're virtually the same person. They have the same temperament, same socioeconomic class. Um, they have the same background, and they are both chosen because of their courage and their faithfulness to do a job. And you tell them, here's your job. You're going to be assembling hamster cages for the next year. Okay, 10 hours a day, 30-minute lunch break, five, maybe six days a week. And the only difference is this. If you tell one, take him to the side, you're going to make $20,000 a year. You tell the other, you're going to make $20 million a year. And these men go to work, and they're working hard. They're going, they're going for it. You know, two months go by, and eventually they connect during a lunch break, and the one guy comes, the guy says, isn't this racket terrible? Can you believe this? This is miserable. And the other guy's like, I actually find the work fulfilling. And time flies by. I'm doing just fine. What are you talking about? The essential difference is one had hope. He knew that there was something coming, something greater coming, and it changed his orientation to what he was experiencing in the present. So hope impacts the way we perceive and the way we engage the world today, presently. So hope is the thing that gives you energy. It's like your batteries. Hope, you can't live without it. We are a world that is oriented around hope. As much as we say nothing matters, you see people are living on the basis of some type of hope. As a pastor, I have the sobering responsibility of going into some of the darkest places of humanity. I hear people's deepest secrets, and I go into their most tragic events. And one of the most tragic uh, and hopeless situations that you could ever face is the death of a loved one. And I remember being in the hospital room where a mother held a child that was recently deceased. She held the cold baby of this child, the cold body of this child, and she wouldn't let go. And she wept because she knew this baby wasn't coming back. Fast forward a little bit at the funeral. I heard the mother speak, and she spoke so beautifully. She, she said, my child was two years old, and she had eight teeth. She took her first steps last summer, August 5th. 
She said Dada for the first time on this day, and she, she honored the life of this child. And then at the end of this, she said the strangest three words that anyone could ever imagine. God is good. God is good. She said God is good with a tiny casket at the right. That's another evidence, another irrefutable evidence that the resurrection is real. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's only by the power of Christ that that's going to be believed. Now people are, uh, some people say Christianity is all about ethics and And ethics aren't going to cut it for you when you're looking at a casket, a small casket. Just do your best, you know, give your, try your hardest, be faithful, be obedient, be a, be a, read your Bible every day. That's not going to cut it. But the resurrection is a game changer. It means that there's another chapter, there's something hopeful up ahead. There's something that can allow me to engage life on this earth. And Dr. King knew about this, and we're going through this racial turmoil right now, and, and, and something's been exposed that's been there for a long time. And, and what did he say? He said, I have a dream. There's something I'm hoping for that I haven't yet achieved. And he died, we know. But guess what? The story didn't die. His work didn't die because God is about the redemption of his people. And the vision that we have of God's people in Revelation 7-9 is a great multitude from every tribe, tongue, and nation. When the resurrection happened, this broke through. As much as it doesn't look like the world's happening, it's coming closer because the kingdom of God is being advanced and he's using the work of his people. It's trust that our actions have meaning because of the resurrection. Resurrection hope, it's trust that feeding the poor is bringing the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So this isn't something that just kind of placates Christians and just makes us sleepy and dull. Oh, I have hope in the resurrection. No, it activates us and it brings us to life because it shows us the work that we're doing is continuing to usher in the kingdom of God when Christ punched through the timeline of history. It's trust that your work has meaning because of Christ. It's trust in in spite of the fact that though your family story didn't turn out the way you expected it, Christ is in control. It's it's trust that even though you've had five miscarriages, that that's part of the story that God's writing, somehow a glorious story that he's writing. Christ in us is ultimately the hope of glory. The second point, why can't we hold on to trust? So we we hear this, this this wonderful thing, why can't we hold on to hope? It's, it's, we have this amazing true story that I've given strong and compelling evidence for, but the thing is it's very, very hard to hold on to because we look at the elite of the disciples, the women and Joseph of Arimathea, and they can't hold on to hope. They saw him. They heard him with his own mouth speak the words, I will die and then I'll come back again. But they couldn't do it. So how do we hold on to it? There's two reasons um, that we have a hard time holding on to hope. One, because it's out of our control. Things are out of our control. Matthew 5, 36 says we can't even change the hair color that we have. And I know some of you, you're thinking clary all, but that's a superficial change. 
all right? We can't change things. We can't change traffic. We can't force our children to be something that we want them to be. We can't, we can't even put a, a breath in our lungs. That's a gift of God. So really, we're very, very needy and treated very graciously. Uh, the other reason that we have a hard time holding on to hope is because we're, we have competing hopes. And that's the big thing right there. Competing hopes, these things that, that, that are actually giving us these small doses of energy like a, like a, like a five-hour energy drink. We have these things that it's going to get me through, the, through the, next, the next thing. These are the people like, you, like me that believe the kingdom will come in a particular way that I have thought up. Uh, in the text, we go back to the ancient context here, the hope, the competing hopes for the people then was that Jesus was going to come like a beast and smack down the Roman Empire, right? Peter loved this idea, you know. The disciples were like, let's call down thunder. Let's let these people know who's in town. And you remember uh, Peter had a, had a plan for Jesus' life. And, and he said to Jesus, no, 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 Jesus, you're not going to go to the cross. You're not going to wash my feet. We're going to stay buddies, shoulder to shoulder, and we're going to dominate. And what did Jesus say to Peter's competing hope? He said, get behind me, Satan. Competing hopes are no small thing. But God is gracious and he's gentle. I love one pastor recently said he, Jesus is promiscuous with his grace and sanctification. He brings it to anyone. He brings it to the elite. He brings it to the lowest. He brings it to anyone who will say, I'll receive your plan for me. I'll take your hope. So there are types of hopes that we have as well. And as I thought about it, here, here's some of the ideas of, of hopes that I often hook my, uh, hook my uh, hooks that I hang my hope on. We have potato chip hope. Uh, just one more, and I'll be satisfied. Just one more look. Just one more of these. Just one more of those. Then I'll be good. We have gambler's hope. One day I'm going to get lucky. I'm going to hit it big. And that's, what I'm, that's what's energized me. The next, the next poll, that's when it's going to happen. We have TikTok hope. One more clip. One more satisfactory piece of entertainment, and I'm going to feel great. And then I'm going to go back and work hard. I know I do that in the bathroom a lot, and I'm Think I'm going to come out and be such an awesome dad. I just need a little bit more entertainment. Road trip hope. When I get there, I'm going to be happy. Keeping up with the Joneses hope. Physique hope. And then sometimes it's even really good things. I have husband hope. My husband won't fail me. He'll never look at another woman the wrong way. He'll always love me. He'll always favor me. He'll always treat me perfectly. That's a dangerous hope. There's only one man that can, that can bear that level of perfection, wife hope, father hope, hope for the perfect father that would train me and, and make me awesome and shoot me out like an arrow, like the scriptures say, Psalm 127. Son and daughter hope. If you, if you, if you can just be the, the perfect little guy, the perfect little girl, then I'll be satisfied. Uh, 
this reminds me of other situations in life. We often, we often just put our hope on so many things, don't we? Even in dating relationships, we try to cling to it. But when we try to cling to it, hope gets out again. It slips out again. So the reality here is that what I'm talking about is, is that hope is hard to hold on to until you receive it passively. It's a gift of grace. Hope's like a bar of soap. You try to squeeze it and force it to your weight, you're going to lose it. Because the scriptures show us, just like faith, it's a gift of God that comes by the Holy Spirit. If you're listening today and you're thinking, oh, I'm compelled by the truth, by the reasonableness of this testimony, it's the Holy Spirit giving you something, and all you have to do is say, I receive it. I have questions still. I don't understand. This is surprising, but I receive it. How do we get it? In this story, we see that hope comes as a surprise. We get it as a surprise. And in reality, if you're receiving the hope of Christ, you may be surprised on a daily basis. So the women, they were walking to see Jesus, these faithful, devout followers. They were walking to the tomb. They were up early in the morning. Uh, while it was light out this morning, it got light out around 4.50, and they were probably up something like that. They're up early in the morning seeking Jesus. And while they're walking, you could just imagine the conversation. Well, maybe it was quiet. Maybe they're, they're just somber, and they're quietly weeping. But it does say there's a little conversation, at least, and their question while they're walking is, who is going to move that big stone? Have you been doing CrossFit lately still? their big stick they had this big obstacle there's this huge stone that was blocking the grave and the text says specifically it was a big stone so it was a good problem that they're considering but this is very symbolic the women are operating on this earthly plane but as far as they know they're not going to be able to get in there's there's a huge stone that's in between them and the stone symbolizes utter powerlessness and our human resources against death. So when we hit a wall and we finally reach a conclusion, man, I, I can't solve this. This is too big for me. We're seeing that stone. I know a guy who spoke of hope. When he got hope, he was going through a, a just messy, messy divorce and he was in his in his house and he was on his knees and he was crying out God okay finally I give up there's nothing else I can do there's nothing else I can do how surprising and that's when hope came in the good news is this when you have experienced hopelessness when you feel that feeling of despair oh snap there's nothing I can do you're actually in the very best possible position you can be in because you've stopped looking at your other resources you stop looking for other things to hang your hope on. You've come to terms with reality. This is something I can't move. I need something outside of myself. I need a savior. I need the resurrection. This is the good news. Jesus has risen from the dead. No matter what you're facing, no matter what obstacles you're going through right now, what, what are you afraid of? What are you feeling fearful of right now? 
look closely because there's an opportunity for hope to come in and invade that. And there's a very real hope you have right now. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we've heard it from your word.